0: We are in the second week of a series. We're calling every day. Every day. And what we're gonna read here in Acts chapter 2, we started with last Sunday as well. This is a brief description, but a very telling description of the early church. You know, the, the book of Acts reveals that the church was powerful, that this body of believers here, even in amidst great persecution, was able to change their world for the gospel of Jesus Christ. They were committed to the mission, and the mission by the way is not something that has changed. They received their mission not from a strategy meeting or from a think tank or for something you know from something inspirational that they read somewhere. They received the mission for the church in the first century from Jesus himself. Acts chapter one, verse eight, Jesus said, after the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you shall receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem in Judea in Samaria and to the uttermost parts of the earth. So they knew and they understood the mission that God had called them to. But what we're about to read in Acts chapter two is the vision for what that looks like. What does it look like to fulfill the mission that God has for the church? So let's look at this little descriptive paragraph, beginning in Acts 2, verse 42. It says, They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day, come on, say every day. day. They continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and they ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Here's what I believe I believe God wants to give you a fresh vision for 2020. The mission hasn't changed for you and I any more than it had for them. And so the reason we're gonna begin by looking at this church and at how they responded to the mission in the first century is because I want you with me to ask God, Lord, would you give us fresh vision for building your church the way it was built in the first century, in the 21st century? God, would you help us to hear your heart, and to do the things that you've called us to do. Now, last week we started with this thought. It says in verse 42, they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching. And I showed a a lot of uh, statistics last week on the impact that it has on a person's life if they will simply commit themselves to reading God's word. And we went, we went through a lot of studies, and it's, it's overwhelming to see the implications of just simply opening your Bible and reading it consistently. Even for a person that would do it just 10 minutes a day, four days a week, those studies that we talked about last week show the incredible impact that God's Word can have in your life. And I just want to echo that thought again and challenge you to be a student of the Word of God this week be a self-feeding christian that's somebody that doesn't just come to get a word on sunday but they also can open their bible and get a word on monday and tuesday and wednesday and thursday and friday and throughout the week be a self-feeding christian last week at the end of the message i gave a little practical help for us to hear from god in 2020 and and i challenged you when you go to your Bible study, and when you go to do your devotions with the Lord, don't just show up with an open Bible, show up with a journal and a pen. In other words, don't just read God's word, but let God speak to you from His word. And the help was an outline we call SOAP. And I challenged you last week to just use this little acronym, SOAP, every day as you read the Bible. Maybe you're just reading one chapter, maybe you're reading for 10 minutes or for 15 minutes or 20 minutes. But as you read the word of God, you're just saying, Holy Spirit, speak a word to me. I I don't want to just read this and check the little boxes on my reading plan and close it and then not even remember what I read by tonight. Lord, speak a word to me. And so as you're reading your Bible, you say, God, what are you saying to me? And then the S in SOAP stands for scripture. You just write that verse down. Write that verse down that stood out to you. The O stands for observation. You just take a couple lines to just observe the text. This is what's happening. Here's who's talking. Here's who they're talking to. This is what they were facing. This is the situation. And then next to the A, that stands for application. And then that's when you say, okay, Lord, why did did you highlight this text in my heart today? Why did you draw my eyes to this? What is it you're saying to me? What do you want to apply in my life? You just write out an application right there. And then the P stands for prayer. And I encourage you to... Write out your prayer. Okay, God, I, I'm, I'm responding to what you're saying to me today. And I want to challenge you. If you'll do that throughout this year, you're not going to be one of those Christians that say, I, I, I don't understand the Bible. You might not understand 50% or 60. You might not even understand 90% of what you read. But what you're doing is saying, Holy Spirit, help me glean something from the 10% that makes sense to me today. And you're going to walk away saying, I've got truth in my life. And so this week we have something available for you. We had some journals uh, designed. These are limited edition. We've ordered uh, about a hundred of them and we're not making money on these. We're just trying to cover the cost. If you want a journal, uh, it has our church name and logo on the front and it has this verse that we're talking about, Acts 242. It says, they devoted themselves. We have those back there at the info center. You can pick one up. It's got about 80 pages in it. And I want to promise you, if if you would just be faithful for about 10 minutes a day, four days a week, by this summer, you're going to have a log book and you're never going to say, God doesn't speak to me. You're going to have a a log book of God's faithfulness. You're going to say, man, look at what God has taught me this year because I took the time to listen for his voice and to write down what he's saying. So I'm going to encourage you if you want one of those. Uh, You can pick those up after the service at the Info Center. Now, let me tell you, as we get into this text today, another crucial component of the church, not only were they committed to the apostles' teaching, but they were committed to prayer. All through the book of Acts, we see how prayer led and guided their decisions. Acts 124, the leaders of the church were selected after prayer. Acts 2 and 2, the church was birthed in a prayer meeting that went for 10 days. Miracles happened when they prayed. Key decisions for the church were made when they prayed. Missionaries were selected and prayed over and launched out in prayer gatherings. The gifts of the Holy Spirit were given to the church and expressed in prayer. The Bible says in Acts 2 and 42, they devoted themselves to prayer. Thank God for intercession. Thank God that other people can pray for you and that we can pray for others. But how many of you know nobody can have a relationship with God for you? God doesn't have any grandchildren. God doesn't have in-laws. He has sons and daughters. And if you're gonna have a relationship with God or anybody for that matter, this is free advice, you gotta communicate. And prayer is the way that we communicate with God and prayer is the way that God wants to communicate with us. Now we we've just come through a week of prayer. We had a prayer meeting here Monday night, Wednesday night, and Friday night. We've spent a lot of time at the beginning of this year saying, in this week of prayer, we're committed to hearing from God. But how many of you know that prayer is not something we do annually at the start of a new year? It's not just something we do on Sunday to start the week. Prayer is something that the Christian does every day. Come on, can you just say every day one more time? God wants to call us in to a deeper relationship with him through prayer. In fact, the very next chapter here in this text, it it emphasizes prayer. Right right after the description that we read in Acts chapter two, look at the first verse in Acts three. Verse one says, one day, Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at three in the afternoon. You know what that tells me? that tells me that there was a rhythm to their devotion. It doesn't say that Peter and John heard the mighty rushing wind of the Holy Spirit and they thought they ought to go and pray. It doesn't say that there was a double rainbow in the sky and they felt compelled to go and pray. It doesn't say that they felt spiritual doodads going up and down their back and so they thought, no, it says it was three o'clock. Why are you praying, guys? Because it's time to pray there's a rhythm. And can I just say to us as a church, the Holy Spirit wants to show up in the rhythm of your devotion. I've I've met a lot of folks, they think that the Holy Spirit's not doing anything unless it's an interruption. Like, you know, the the Holy Spirit shows up and he always changes the plan. Well, I got to tell you, I believe this is a word from God that I have for you today, but can I tell you, I ain't making it up as I go. No, I prepared this message. I planned this message. We have confidence that yes, God can set up divine, unexpected, interrupting moments, but God works in the rhythm. And so on this day, because it was their rhythm, it's three o'clock, it's time to pray. They are on their way to the temple to pray. And it was as they were going that they had a supernatural moment. See, Acts chapter four verse 32 through 35, gives a very similar picture of the church that we read in Acts 2, verse 42, through the end of the chapter. So almost the same description of the church, but between those two bookends are an incredible story about the power of prayer. What happened is Peter and John, as they were on their way to the temple, to meet with God in prayer, they came across a crippled man. Look at verse two with me. It says, now a man who was lame from birth was being carried to the temple gate called Beautiful, where he was put every day to beg from those going into the temple courts. When I read that verse, it reminds me of something. It reminds me that it's always appropriate to pray for a miracle now I need to let that truth settle on some of you because my sense is that there may be some people here that that you prayed and you asked God to do something and he didn't do it and and now it, it seems like maybe it's not worth asking anymore. maybe the, the diagnosis has gone from stage one to stage four and and we're kind of past that point of asking for a miracle, but can I tell you I believe? According to the word of God, and it's revealed in this verse, that it's always appropriate, as long as there is life in the body, to pray for a miracle. Does God always answer the way we want him to? No, he doesn't always answer the way we want him to, but we always pray in faith. I'm going to tell you why. This man, the Bible says, was crippled from birth, and every day he was placed at a gate called Beautiful, right outside the temple courts. At the end of this story, we discover at the end of chapter four, this man was over 40 years old. So even if he hadn't been brought there until he was 18, for over 20 years now, this man has been laying at the gate called beautiful, and he has been begging for alms from the people going in and out. You understand this story only happens a few weeks after Jesus bodily ascension back up to heaven. That means that Jesus himself probably walked past this crippled man dozens of times. Why didn't he heal him? Well, if you can figure that out, let me know. Because I've had a lot of people ask me that question. Why didn't God heal my sister? Why didn't God rescue them? Why didn't God do do that? Jesus walked past this man many, many times, and he never healed him. He never raised up this crippled man and healed his body. And sometimes God delays the miracle for greater glory. Sometimes God has something bigger and more masterful that he's orchestrating than just the crisis of your moment. And on this day, maybe for the hundredth time, Peter and John, in a rhythm of devotion, are walking past this man. And they hear that familiar voice, alms, alms for the poor, alms, alms for the poor. And on this day, the Bible says Peter looked at that man and he said, silver and gold have I none, but what I have, I give to you. And he took him by the hand and he said, in the name of Jesus, get up. And the man got up, strength went into his legs and the Bible says he began leaping and dancing and jumping around and praising God. God absolutely did a miracle in that man's life in that moment, and then the next thing that happened is a crowd started together. Everybody knew this guy. Everybody knew that he. Everybody knew who he was, and all of a sudden, a, a crowd starts to gather around and and. Hundreds become thousands as they pack in there to the colonnade in the temple courts. And all of a sudden, Peter's looking around and he goes, I know what to do next. (laughs) I mean, I just had this experience a few days ago on the day of Pentecost. And there was thousands of people that were watching the commotion when people were speaking in tongues. And and I got up and I preached and 2,000 people got saved. And so Peter just starts preaching again. He starts declaring a message about (laughs) about the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He starts preaching power and life in Jesus of Nazareth. The Bible says in Acts chapter four, and verse four, but many who heard the message believed. So the number of men who believed grew to about 5,000. See, maybe God's delayed in answering your need because he has a plan for greater glory there's something else that he's trying to accomplish. The story goes on to tell us, meanwhile, the Sadducees and the the priest, they got the temple guard to go and arrest Peter and John. They arrested them and they they threw them in jail (coughs) overnight. Pick up the story with me in in Acts four. Beginning in verse seven, it says, they had Peter and John brought before them and they began to question them. By what power? Or what name did you do this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, exclamation point. I, I think even the punctuation's inspired here. I, I love that he didn't he didn't say this with a spirit of timidity. He didn't stay, say this trembling. He said this boldly. Peter, in that moment filled with the Holy Spirit, said rulers and elders of the people. He's about to address somebody. Now you gotta understand who these people are. These same Sanhedrin are the same people that orchestrated the crucifixion of Jesus Christ just a few weeks earlier. I mean, this this is not exactly a, a friendly audience, but this is the power of prayer. Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, look at what he says next. Jesus is the stone you builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Verse 12, salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which we must be saved. I mean, Peter is just preaching now. He's just delivering the gospel that Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. You can't be saved outside of that name. And then all they could do, the Bible says all the religious leaders could do because this guy who's been crippled for over 40 years is now running through town. He's dancing and praising God and lifting up the name of Jesus, and thousands of people have just gotten saved. There's a revival in the city. It says all they could do was threaten them not to speak in the name of Jesus again. So they threatened them, and they let them go. Now, beginning in verse 23 of Acts 4, down through the next several verses, we get an inside look at a prayer meeting in the first century church. We get to see what it looked like for them to call on God in prayer. And I wanna challenge you as we look at this prayer meeting to let it challenge the way that you pray in your own life. Look at verse 23 with me. It says, on their release, Peter and John went back to their own people and they reported all that the chief priest and the elders had said to them. (coughs) Verse 24, and when they heard this, they raise their voices together in prayer to God. I love the immediacy of this moment. I mean, Peter and John come walking into the room and they tell this whole story. Man, yeah, guys, it was amazing. After that after that sermon and, and all those people got saved, man, they took us, they arrested us. We were in jail last night. But then this morning, they, they brought us before questioning and I thought we were going to the chopping block. I thought like this was, oh, this was the end. We're going to follow Jesus. We're going to carry our cross just like he said. It's all going to end. But you know what? They, they, just, they just shook their finger at us, and they said, don't do that. They just scolded us, and they let us go. They couldn't do anything. And this verse says, immediately, <clears throat> the response of the people was, altogether, they lifted up their voices in prayer. That's what I call a prayer reflex. You ever been to the doctor, had them check your reflexes before? You know, they they tap on you, see if they can get something to move. They bang on your knee a little bit. Some of us, we need to develop a prayer reflex. That prayer is not just something that we do in the crisis. Prayer is not something we do before we eat. Prayer is not just something we do when it's time to sleep. But (coughs) that in every situation, whatever you're facing, that you would have this kind of heart that just responds to God in prayer. Oh, may it be true of this church that prayer is not something that that signifies a formal dismissal, but that prayer is the attitude and the environment of the house of God. Jesus said, "My house shall be called a house of prayer." We need a prayer reflex today. Amen. <coughs> Look at verse twenty-four. Again, the second part of it, look at the prayer. They said, Sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. What are they doing? They're they're getting a right perspective on God. If you want to learn something from these prayers, this is step one. Write this down. Where is God? (coughs) Where's God? That's the question that is getting answered in prayer. That's the question that a lot of people have asked when they're overcome with worry, when they're overcome with fear, when they're facing a natural disaster or some terrorist attack or a school shooting. People come out with the question, where is God? Well, that's the question that is answered in prayer. By the way, that's why I bring my Bible with me to the prayer gatherings. That's why when I'm gonna spend time in prayer, I have my Bible with me because sometimes I need to remind myself where the Lord is. I need to remind myself where God is in all this because if not, I can be totally blinded by the problems. And maybe you've been there before where you're trying to pray, but you're just so overwhelmed with what you're facing and what you're dealing with, and you can't come up with answers. If you could have, you might not even be praying, but you don't know how to pray because you don't know where God is at in the midst of it. It's in those moments that I just open up my Bible I'll find one of the Psalms and I'll begin to declare out loud who God is. I'll I'll go and read a story in the Gospels about his healing, miracle working power. Or I'll read one of these stories in Acts about how his spirit filled and provided the church with what they needed. But sometimes you've got to just locate where God is in the midst of it. When you go to God in prayer, don't start with where you are, start with where God is. David said it like this. David said, oh, let us magnify the Lord and exalt his name together. Something about seeing God bigger that positions us to move into his presence. At another place in the Psalms 100 in verse 4, it says, enter his gates with thanksgiving, come into his courts with praise. Some of you, you struggle to get into God's presence in prayer. It's because you don't have the key. The key is thanksgiving. The password is praise. And it's what unlocks the door and gets us into God's presence. See, when you begin interceding and praying and seeking God, we begin with knowing where God is. Jesus said it like this. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 5, verse 6, and verse 7, Jesus was teaching about prayer. And each of those verses begin with these words, And when you pray, see, Jesus never said you should pray. He said, and when you pray, and that ought to tell us something that ought to tell us that, that Jesus expectation is that all of the followers of Christ are people of prayer. So when you pray, here's what you should do. Here's what you should not do. And then in verse nine of Matthew five, Jesus says these words. He says, this then is how you should pray. And how did that prayer begin? Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. What was Jesus saying? Jesus was saying, when you pray, begin by getting a right perspective of where God is. God, you're, you're up here. I mean, here's my story. Here's what I'm dealing with. Here's what I'm trying to figure out. But I'm gonna begin by acknowledging the fact that God, you are in heaven. Look at the prayer they prayed in Acts 4. They began, sovereign Lord, you created the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Look at verse 25. They said, "You spoke by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of your servant, our father David." And then they quoted that statement from David. "Why do the nations <coughs> Why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? The kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. You know what they were doing? They began to declare that God is sovereignly in control of everything that is happening, not just the good things. But they're quoting this verse. It's a direct quote from Psalm chapter two. They're quoting this and they're saying, God's not just in control of the good things. God's even in control of the bad things in my life. And when we start magnifying the Lord, all of a sudden we get a right perspective on where God is. and and we start seeing our problems in a different angle. They're they're having this prayer meeting, and they start saying, wait a minute. I mean, if God didn't know what was going to happen, how would the Holy Spirit have spoken through David almost 500 years ago? David wrote, why do the nations rage and the people plot in vain? We saw that. The nations did rage. The people did plot in vain. David said, the kings of the earth rise up and the rulers band together against the Lord and against his anointed one. And they're praying this and they're quoting the word. And they're going, that's exactly what happened. We saw the rulers band together. We saw them rise up against God's anointed one. And they started to get faith to say that even in a crisis situation, when we thought everything went wrong, God sovereignly knew about it and he told David about it half a millennia ago. And so then look at the next verse, verse 27, they said, indeed, indeed, Herod and Pontius Pilate met together with the Gentiles and the people in Israel in this city to conspire against your holy servant, Jesus, whom you anointed. They're saying in verse 27 that what David prophesied in Psalm 2 is what we've seen happen. And now their faith is building, and they're saying, We've seen God's plan fulfilled in our lifetime in this city through our Savior. And all of a sudden, faith is building because we start recognizing the sovereignty of God. He's in control. <clears throat> they're saying, Man, we remember when it looked bad. I mean, when when they came and arrested Jesus and Judas betrayed him, most, most of the disciples ran. They disappeared, and man, when they, when they took Jesus and they beat him with that cat of nine tails and put a crown of thorns on his head and a purple robe on his back, and they mocked him before the people, we didn't know if we were next, and so we hid. In fact, most of us, we didn't even come to the cross. We, we didn't even see him die. We were so worried. Most of us didn't even show up at the tomb. We didn't come to see him. We were hiding. Some of us, we, we went back to our old occupation. We went back to fishing. We didn't know what the future held. But then Sunday came. Then resurrection happened. The stone was rolled away, and, and Jesus was alive. And Mary met him in the garden, and Peter and John ran to the tomb, and we saw him on the Emmaus Road, and, and he not only appeared to us, but he appeared over the next 40 days to some 500 people. And we saw him with our own eyes as he ascended up into heaven. And he said, go wait in Jerusalem. And 10 days later, the Holy Spirit fell and we received power. And Peter preached and 2,000 people got saved. And then a couple days ago, we saw this lame man that's been lame all of his life get up. And now 5,000 people got saved. And it looked like God wasn't in control. But today we can see the sovereign hand of God is ruling and reigning in our lives. I know where God is. And when we start with a perspective of where God is, they can say, It makes sense. It makes sense. Look at verse 28. They said, What those religious leaders did, what those Sadducees did, (coughs) they did what your power and what your will had decided beforehand should happen. See, some of you are frustrated in your prayer life because you're starting wrong. You're motivated by your problem, and so you start with your problem. But you need to start with understanding where God is. When you go to God in prayer, don't start by telling God how big your problem is. Start by telling your problem how big your God is. Get a perspective on where the Lord, (coughs) where the Lord is. I'll tell you where he's at. He is sovereign. He is in control. Now look at the The shift now in their prayer. Verse 29 says, now, Lord, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants. Let me just stop right there. I think this word servants is so important because once we we get a a grasp on where God is, secondly, you gotta understand where am I? Where am I? They said, we are your servants. (coughs) Are you coming to God just to get things done that you want done? Are you coming to God to have his will accomplished in your life? Listen, it's not wrong to ask God for the desires of your heart. It's very appropriate appropriate to do that. Ask God for the desires of your heart. But ask yourself about your intentions. Where am I? What is my view of me? in this, because we start with where God is and his sovereignty, but where am I? I'm his servant. That was the heart of this prayer. I am the servant of God. Listen, if you wanna know God will answer your prayers, (coughs) then get a right perspective on God and get a right perspective on yourself. And then from that place, worship him as the sovereign Lord, as the one who is in control and submit your plans to him. submit them to him and say, God, I'm your servant. You know that you're praying a servant-hearted prayer when your prayer is more about the glory of God than it is about your own desires. That's how you know you're praying a servant-hearted prayer. And that's what they did. They recognized where God was, and then they got in alignment with God's will. See, prayer doesn't change God's mind. That's not why we pray. We're not trying to twist his arm. Prayer doesn't change God's mind. Prayer changes us. Prayer allows us to get a new perspective and it allows us to shift into alignment with what God is saying and what God is doing. God's power is available. We're gonna read about his power in just a moment, but I want you to know his power is available, but God's power is available for God's purpose. That's why we have to align with his will. God didn't send the Holy Spirit just so we could have good church services. God didn't send the Holy Spirit just just so that you could have some outward emotional experience. God sent his Holy Spirit to empower the church for the purpose of God. And if you want his power, you have to align your life with his purpose. And, And they said, God, we are your servants. And from that posture, they prayed three prayers. And quickly, I just want to show them to you because I believe these are three prayers that you and I ought to pray. If you're writing these down, the first one is this, a prayer to speak God's word. A prayer to speak God's word. Look at it with me in verse 29. It says, now, Lord, consider their threats and enable your servants to speak your word with great boldness. And what I love about this Peter and John literally just got out of jail for doing that very thing. I mean, they just got out of jail. And what, what did the religious leaders say to them? Stop preaching in the name of Jesus. And so they show up at the, at the prayer meeting and they go, wow, man, that was crazy. Guess what happened? And as soon as everybody hears it, what do they do? <coughs> They start declaring God that he's in control, that he's always been in control, that he's orchestrating his plan. And our prayers are not going to be based on our convenience or on our safety or on our preference, but our prayers are going to be submitted to the plan and purpose of God. So they just start praying. I know they said, don't preach in your name, but Holy Spirit, would you empower us to speak the word of God like never before? That's a purpose hearted prayer because, hey, the mission doesn't change. You said you'd send your spirit. You'd give us power to be your witnesses. If I'm going to be a witness, i got to say a word. And so, God, help me to speak your word. A servant-hearted prayer says, God, even if this costs me greatly, I'm committed to your purpose. John the Baptist prayed a servant-hearted prayer. He was the forerunner of Jesus. And when Jesus came on the scene, people started leaving John and started going to Jesus. <clears throat> His disciples started saying, John, your, your your church is shrinking. What are you gonna do about it? And he said, I must decrease so that he may increase. That's a purpose-driven, servant-hearted prayer. He said, I'm not here to build a crowd for my name. I'm here to pave a way for Jesus. I must decrease so that he can increase. Job prayed a servant-hearted prayer when he said to the Lord, even though you slay me, still I'm going to serve you. In other words, there's nothing in my flesh that wants to go down this path of suffering, but God, it's not going to change the fact that I'm fully committed to you. Jesus prayed a servant-hearted prayer in the garden of Gethsemane when he knew the cross was before him. And nonetheless, he said, not my will be done, but yours be done. That's a servant-hearted prayer. <clears throat> they prayed, God, enable us to speak your word. And they didn't just pray, Lord, let us speak your word. Secondly, they prayed to stretch out God's hand. It's in verse 30. They said, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. (coughs) Now again, Jesus, he's already ascended to heaven. He's not in the earth anymore. So what are they saying? When they say, stretch out your hand, what hand does he have? They're saying, Jesus, let us be your hands. Jesus, let us be your mouth, but also let us be your hands. (coughs) And stretch out your hands to heal Stretch out your hands to do signs and wonders. Can I say that Jesus' mouth is speaking today through the church? It's the church that is the light of the world. It's you and I that are the carriers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he is reaching out with his hands to touch people, and to do miracles, and to, to meet needs, and to bring comfort. And the hand that he's reaching out with is your hand and my hand. <clears throat> I saw it this week. On Friday, we did the funeral service for one of our church members, Connie Redzevich. And on Thursday night, we, from six to eight, we had a, a time here where people could come and greet the family and offer their condolences and From 6 till 8.30, there was a line from the front of this room, around this building, and out the door. I saw hundreds and hundreds of people in those two days that came, and more than anything else, the the compliment that I heard from people, they said, wow, we just feel so welcomed here. Your people have been so loving. They've been so gracious. You guys have been so hospitable. We just feel so at home in this place. What was happening So many of you that that served, that came and held doors for people or or cooked a meal or, or served in the back or just ushered people, you were reaching out. And when you reached out, God's hand touched people. Their lives were impacted in that moment because the hand of God was reaching out to people. That's the heart of a church that says, Lord, you are sovereign and we are servants. And we want your power We don't want it just so that we can come together and experience something that makes us feel good. We want your power for your purpose and your pleasure. So God, we want to be your mouth, even if it means persecution. And we want to be your hand, and we want to reach out to others. And the last prayer they prayed was not just to (coughs) speak God's word or to stretch out God's hand, but to synchronize with God's will. That's the heart of the church, to synchronize with God's will. Look at it again in verse 30. After he said, stretch out your hand to heal and perform signs and wonders, he says, through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. What does it mean to pray in the name of Jesus? I can tell you what it doesn't mean. It doesn't mean, well, it's time to say amen. For a lot of people, that's it. We say in Jesus' name, and that's just the cue to open our eyes again. Amen. But names, in the ancient culture, we were symbolic of the character of that person. We spoke of the purpose and the destiny of that person. Abram's name was changed to Abraham because God said, You're gonna be the father of multitudes. That's what Abraham means. Jacob was so named because he grasped the heel. A heel grasper is an idiom for a deceiver. And so he was named Jacob. Jesus was named Jesus because the angel told his father Joseph he will save his people from their sins. That's what Jesus means. So name him Jesus. And so when we pray in Jesus' name, (coughs) we're acknowledging his character, his attributes, his authority. We're not just coming and saying, God, this is what I want. Now, would you bless it? We're saying Jesus is the Lord. Jesus is the Savior. He has all power and authority in his name. And so we activate our faith on his name and it's also an opportunity for us to say God everything that I desire everything that I'm asking for everything that I want God I submit it to his lordship and so when you add in Jesus name to what you're praying you're saying God this this is what I want this is what I'm asking for but God I only want it in Jesus name In other words, I want one more filter there before my prayer goes to the throne of the Father. I want to go through Jesus because Jesus is is the Lord of my life and if my prayer doesn't line up with Jesus, then then don't even let it get to the throne of God. I want to pray all that I'm saying according to the lordship of Jesus Christ. And they said, Lord, this is is our desire that, that our mouth would be your mouth, that our hands would be your hands and God, that our heart would align with your heart. And they prayed this powerful, powerful prayer. Now I want you to look at verse 31 to see what happened after they prayed. After they prayed, everybody started putting their notes in their Bible and grabbing their pocketbooks and talking about what restaurant they're gonna eat at. Come on, isn't that how it happens sometimes? Aren't we all guilty of just coming to God and just saying everything we've got to say and then amen and I'm done? I think sometimes this is where we miss it. and We can learn a lot from the first century church. When you say amen, it means so be it. It's a statement of agreement. It's not a statement of dismissal. And so when we've come before the Lord as God Almighty, sovereign, and we've humbled ourselves as servants, and we've unburdened our heart and said, God, you see these things, we're coming to you in faith. Lord, we want your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen. So be it. And now we yield and we listen to see what God wants to say and what God wants to do. And what it actually says is, in verse 31 After they prayed, the place where they were meeting was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they spoke the word of God boldly. God answered their prayer. God, help us to speak with boldness. Help us to stretch out your hand. Help us to be in tune with your heart. And that's exactly what happened. The Holy Spirit came on them again, and they all were filled with the Spirit again, and they spoke the word of God boldly. Can I challenge you today to discover where God is in the midst of your situation? Maybe you're in one of those places where you're going, I don't know what you're giving me, God, and I don't really know how to handle this, but like Peter you got to say, but, but you're God, and you are in control. And so, God, I'm going I'm to stick with you. I'm going to follow you. I'm going to see this thing through. I'm going to trust you and su- submit yourself as his servant. Say, God, I, I want your power for your purpose. I want to ask you to stand with me all over this room. <coughs> We're going to go to the Lord in prayer for just a moment. And I want to invite you to just make an altar right where you're standing. and can we just begin by exalting the Lord can we just begin by putting him in his rightful place in our hearts and in our minds one more time come on you sang so beautifully to him earlier but just open your mouth and just begin to give him thanks give him praise God thank you today for your faithfulness God thank you today that your promise is true you never leave us you never forsake us God thank you that Right now, Lord God, you are sustaining the world with your word that you spoke into existence in the very beginning. The fact that the sun rose this morning right on cue and that the stars will hold their place is a testament to us today that God, your word never returns void it always accomplishes what it was sent forth to do. So God, we acknowledge today, you are seated on your throne. You're not pacing, you're not nervous, you're seated, you're in control. Even of those things in my life that feel out of control, God, today, lift my eyes Above the noise. Above the chaos and the confusion. God, help me to see today you are in control. Now, would you just begin to posture yourself and surrender to the Lord? Just yield to him right now. Maybe something you've been struggling with, something you're facing. Maybe you need to give your life to the Lord and you've been, you've been wrestling with that. You've been fighting. This is your moment. Just Surrender. Say, God, you because you're Lord and I'm not, God, I, I humble myself today. Jesus, I surrender my life. Lord, I surrender my life. Lord, I submit my plans. Lord, you know my desires, you know my heart, but God, I only want what you want. In Jesus' name, God, I bring my needs to you. In Jesus' name. Many are the plans of a man, but the Lord orders his steps. God, would you guide our steps? Lord, would you empower us with your Holy Spirit today? Lord, not not for our sake, but for your glory. Lord, thank you that your power is available for your purpose. So right now, Lord God, I pray that you would begin to fill our mouths with your words. Lord, I pray that you would anoint our hands to reach out and touch others with your grace, with your healing power, with your wondrous love. God, anoint our hands to be your hands. God, align our hearts with your heart. Lord, we want to be passionate about the things that matter, the things that you're doing. Lord, help us to not be distracted. Help our attention not to be diverted to temporal things when God, you've placed us here on the earth to be your ambassadors, to be your representatives. Can I just invite you today, would you just take those hands and just lift them up to the Lord for a moment? Just as an outward sign of saying, God, I give you my life. God, take my hands, use my mouth, guide my heart, God, today. I wanna be used by you. In Jesus' name, I wanna be used by you. In Jesus' name. Amen.